Herzlich Willkommen zum Modellansatz, der mathematische Podcast aus Karlsruhe mit Gudrun Täter und Sebastian Ritterbusch. So, today I have a guest in my office again. Um, welcome, Yusuf Murad. It's kind of an interesting story for me, but I think he is the first person who just sent me an email offering me um, to have a conversation about something he knows everything about and I know not so much about. <laughs> um, he was taking part in a lecture course we do. So it's a so-called um, project-orientierte Software-Praktikum. So... We always kind of measure it to people being able to speak English or German because um, it's kind of possible because it's also more or less one-to-one -one, um, helping people um, getting into really research-oriented um, code and things like that. Um, but he is already <laughs> into um, this kind of things. And also, in a way, uh, you are one example that our course is not really only for mathematicians, but it's a real interdisciplinary one because you are a mechanical engineer. Yeah, and we like that very much, that we have a place where um, all of the students can learn together. And where it's um, really optimal to learn together is when they have really hands-on experience, so sitting next to each other and making a code together uh, with their different um, points of view and then um, discussing Uh, different points of view and then coming to a result together. So in a way, um, the topic of the software lab is related to the conversation we want to have because it's also related to fluid dynamics. So it's um, computational fluid dynamics um, service we want to talk about. So you know a lot about the service which is called SimScale. Um, please tell us um, what this is and what it can help with. Okay. So let's start from the beginning. So SimScale was founded in 2012 from five founders from Munich. And before it was basically a consulting company called SimAc Engineering when the five guys decided to make something bigger and put simulation into a browser. And that's what SimScale basically is. It brings together functionality, people, and software as a service, so to say. I'm kind of laughing a little bit because this is kind of opposite to what you always see happening. So in a way, the browser was invented as the one tool to see what, what's happening in the internet, whatever it is. And nowadays, we are always kind of triggered to, instead of visiting a page with the browser, to install the app. <laughs> yes, that's and right. And with software, it, from the very beginning, it was like, you have to have the software and the environment of the software which the software needs so there was never really a question to have it in the browser except a few you know examples where you can just give, give trial examples in the browser in order not to make it too difficult to start and then to see it it's really working well and then you really install install the software and now you're telling me they are doing something like well established being differently absolutely in the opposite than the modern way mm. Well, but it sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's not the state of the art today mm. because, as you said, like uh, famous software packages we know, like Andes or Abacus, they use the software principle and they charge license fees for the software. Mm. So we are not doing that. We are basically charging for the service you get. So you pay for what you use, basically. And 
yeah, I mean, we are very successful with that concept, and let's see what the future brings. So what, uh, how does it look like when I would open the browser on the page of uh, SimScale? Mm. So first of all, you have to create an account. That's the first thing you have to mm -hmm. do. Then uh, the next step would be that you know what you want to simulate, if it's FEA or maybe fluid dynamics. Um, then you would upload your geometry inside the browser. So you have basically three tabs. Uh, the first one is the mesh creator, we call it, where you can upload your geometry from any CAD software you use. And then you create the mesh in the same tab. And then you set up the simulation, as you normally do. And the last tab is the post-processing um, tab. So pre pretty straightforward. Mm. So if uh, someone doesn't really know what post-processing is about, it's um, after you uh, calculate, you have just a huge amount of numbers which don't really speak to you as a human person. So to decide how to visualize uh, all the numbers is called post-processing. So kind of you go through all the numbers. Sometimes you have to calculate mean values or distributions, things like that. And then um, to really have something where you can look at and see what's happening. So like, for example, a video of a flow through for, from through 10 seconds or something. Mm. Exactly. So, and a lot of users, let's come, let's talk a b little bit about the, the mesh and mm. the post-simulation step and post-processing step. So the main issue is that some people do not have a physical or engineering background, especially designers. Mm. And I mean, they don't know what the K-Epsilon model is. They basically want to know how big is my pressure drop or, yeah, What is the mean flow in, inside my component? So we are trying to take that know-how barrier away and help designers and engineers to simulate in the platform and offering them our know-how and yeah, basically to help them develop better products. Mm. But of course, this is always um, something each software has to master somehow that you have persons with a different knowledge um, um, on the other side. So for example... A person like me who would not really be happy with having a black box so I would really want to know which kind of finite element uh, elements you're using and why things like that um, so I would feel um, you know <laughs> kind of cheated on <laughs> maybe yeah, yeah. If, to just formulate it very dramatically if I have no insight into that But other people, they just say, you know, I have this easy-to-describe problem and I don't really care how you solve it because I trust you. Exactly, yes. And that's exactly what I mentioned. I mean, mm. nobody's really interested what does the SST model do, so what, the, what is the mathematics behind it. So they just want to give the CAD model into the browser, know what's coming out, and then interpret the results. Mm. So. so what kind of um, tools if you are allowed to speak about it. So what kind of tools do you uh, use in order to solve such fluid? Or maybe even to, to create the mesh, because that's also not really clear how to do. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. So for the fluid dynamics part, we're using OpenFoam. Mm -hmm. So we're integrating OpenFoam into the browser and using finite volume method mm -hmm. uh, to solve the problems. And for FAA, we're using CodeAstair. So it's... If one wants to use Codaster, it's pretty uh, like Linux style, mm. if you want to call it like that. And for some people, it's very hard to use that or get get into FEA using Codaster. So I think we, we we did a pretty good job in implementing this into the browser. And about the meshing itself, yeah, I mean, we're using Snappy Hex Mesh. Mm -hmm. 
So maybe you know about that. It's also from like open phone based meshing tool. Yeah. Of course, um, if you are using something like um, open foam, um, then you're kind of <laughs> very intelligently, I want to say, uh, combine uh, both worlds I was describing. So because um, since OpenFoam is an open um, software package, if I feel inclined to learn everything about it, it's possible yeah. because everything's open. I could even include certain packages which don't exist, which are just um, necessary for my things and could write it and combine it with what which what is already existing. Uh, so you're kind of um, making it easier for people to work with this open software uh, because sometimes the disadvantage is that um, the, the kind of the interface for the user is a little bit complicated if it's really open for two reasons. So one reason is that typically people working with that, they have a lot of prior knowledge, so they need all the bells and whistles you know, to work with. And on the other hand, it's of course kind of a time-consuming to make an interface which really works for everybody. And so very often this time is just not there because people are working in order to find results. And for them, the interface works because, you know, they work with it, so it works somehow. Sometimes they're also not really happy, but they have to postpone it to later, and this later ne never really happens. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. So um, you're kind of also making a service to this free uh, software to, to, to make it um, reachable for persons who don't really want to work with this kind of complicated interface. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you don't even have to pay for, for an account. You mm. have this free community plan with yeah. 3,000 core hours. You can use it. And if you used all the core hours, I mean, you can additionally buy some core hours or upgrade to another plan. That's mm. it's possible. Yeah, because there are kind of two ingredients there. One is that you use the software, which is open, so you shouldn't yeah. really pay for that at least, you know, up to a certain point. And then you also need resources for the calculations. And then, of course, there's the question if, you know, the computer has to be paid for somehow, mm -hmm. um, if it is kind of um, possible to give it um, outside, you know, to use um, hours which are not used anyway or things like that, or just, you know, to um, make it easy for people to tr build trust uh, with the service. And then if they have a really bigger problem, they are happy to pay because they know what they get is, is kind of very efficient for them. Mm. And we also, like the concept is, is going pretty well. Mm. I mean, if we have a customer, he usually pays if the simulation is successful. Well, we have some cases where, like you say, the, the user cancels the run. And that might, that might have different reasons. For instance, he sees that the convergence plot is stopping at a, a certain level and we have no further changes in the mm. convergence plot. So the user says, okay, I'll stop here. Or maybe it's for another reason. You have maybe like rigid body motion, unconstrained body or something like this, or in fluid mechanics, division by zero. Mm. So, um, but the basic principle is you pay for what you use. And we're doing pretty well. So um, what is the computing um, power behind that? Yeah, so... We are basically using um, AWS, which is Amazon Web Service. So that's the service we are using. And when going to the GUI, so the graphical interface, um, a user can use up to 16 cores. Mm -hmm. So that's also an advantage. I mean, if you have a laptop and want to do a simulation, then you're maybe restricted to, I don't know, maybe four or eight 
course. Mm, I don't if know. it's really good one eight, yeah. Yeah. So um and if you upgrade your plan, let's say you have an un uh, enterprise plan or professional plan, you can even go up to ninety six cores, which is eno enormous uh, power for your calculations. Yeah, and of course, very often here we have the conversation about um, computational fluid dynamics and how fast you really need um, the best computers available um, because in three-dimensional simulations, uh, all the fineness of the grid just goes to the three in what you need in space. And so mm. um, it's kind of believable to me that it makes sense to have um, the biggest computing power available, which you know can get and you know in a short time. Because sometimes, for example, here at KIT, it takes you like three to five years <laughs> to improve, you know, to buy the, the, the new computer. Then, of course, yeah. it's available. But this is, um, of course, much too long if you have a question you want to have answered in order to make your design better. Yes, that's absolutely right. And um, I mean, now that you speak about like the fineness of the mesh, that's also mm. a big problem we have on our platform that um, when you come from FEA, you know that the finer you make the mesh, usually the better your results get up to a certain point. Now in fluid dynamics, if we make the, f the mesh too fine, what some people think is that the results will get better. It's also up to a certain point. I mean, if you go too fine, some people want to do a DNS, which is uh, maybe an overkill. <clears throat> so um, there we are trying to help, especially in our community, in our forum, like helping users know maybe the, the mesh is too fine, hmm. maybe you should optimize this and that just not to waste chorus, let's say. Yeah, yeah, because they are, in a way, very often you have a con um, kind of hidden connection for someone who's not a mathematician between time and space. So if, if you're not aware about that, you can make this mistake to try to make the mesh too fine, but then not to think about fine time scaling. And then, of course, you always have the problem if uh, the numbers get um, too small, then you have also problems with the, the standard computation. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, which is floating point uh, calculation, which doesn't really work <laughs> very well if it's um, the, the differences are too small. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, of course, then you sometimes think it's it's getting more um, also exact, but it's uh, just full of um, kind of oscillations in the what's happening with the adding numbers and things like that, mm -hmm. and you're not aware of that, of course, yeah. And of course, then uh, there is a big help if you have people who are more experienced telling you try it with this, this, and that. And for your type of problem, it should work like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's absolutely correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But of course, there is still this kind of general problem around uh, simulation of turbulence. So, how far uh, can you go helping people uh, calculating for turbulent flow? So you mean model-wise? Model-wise, yes. <coughs> so we have the basic models implemented. So we c you could use K-Upsilon, the standard mm -hmm, K-Upsilon. the standard one, yeah. Exactly. Then you go can go to K-Omega-SST. And, yeah, I mean, you can also calculate the simple laminar flow as well. Now that you speak about it, I mean, we have seen the last years that usually if you start a PhD, you you have your problem. Then you go to, okay, what what software can I use or what method can I use? And then you implement it into your HPC system, the high-performance computing mm. system. And what we see nowadays is that we say, okay, I have so and so much cores, that computing power, now I'm going back backwards. Like I have this computing power, which is the best method I can use to parallelize it? And that would be, in this case, Lattice mm. Boltzmann. I mean, a lot of people are very successful using Lattice Boltzmann method. 
Yeah, that's always a conversation which we have uh, since we started to work on this because it's kind of, uh, for, for an outsider, it's kind of funny to see that there are like, I don't know really the number, but probably uh, 10 to 20 codes which are used in academics mm. for like a long time. And um, you see really nice um, things as a result of these com computations. And then you ask yourself, why is there the necessity for a new one? <laughs> yeah. There is already enough there. And then there's uh, kind of two answers. The first one is really that this method is the only one which really scales with being massively parallel. Mm. Because it's parallel from, from the very beginning and the other ones are not. Because these are the standard ones. And then the other thing is that very often with um, like finite volumes or finite differences or finite elements, you have serious problems implementing complicated geometry. And um, f we pay on other places, of course. Mm. There's always yeah. this kind of balance of difficulty, I would say. But um, these are kind of two good reasons to have this in the world as well. Mm. I totally agree. Yeah. Of course, there's always, um, very often, it's possible to use finite elements nowadays, for example, or finite volumes, without really <clears throat> having any knowledge about the modeling behind it and come up with, um, with okay results. And it's I see in developing lattice Boltzmann problems, it's more that you have to aware, be aware of the models because even something as simple as a boundary value is not that obvious. Yeah, that's yeah, that's correct. Things like that. And then um, I think this is an advantage um, from my point of view, because after you understand this for Lattice Boltzmann, it's obvious, then you also see that for other things it's there. It was just a little bit hidden. Yeah. And... Um, you know, even it doesn't really matter what kind of um, speciality you have, if you're a mathematician or an engineer or a computer scientist or even a designer, um, you should have kind of different knowledges combined there. Yeah, yeah, that's also what I wanted to say. Like, I mean, just having knowledge about, like, let's say, finite element or finite mm. volume method, like, uh, it may benefit you. But I think having a broad knowledge about lattice Boltzmann, then final volume, final element, final difference methods, uh, really benefits you even more. I mean, um, yeah. So, um, what is kind of the everyday life on the platform? Uh, are there many users? Yeah, um, like I th almost a year ago, uh, September eleventh, two thousand and seventeen, we had like. We broke the 100K mark, so mm. 100,000 users, which was pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I don't have a um, like new number, but we are way over 100,000 now. Um, the forum is sometimes people are very active. Uh, sometimes it's quiet because <laughs> users don't have any problems. So that's that might be a positive sign or a negative sign. Mm. Uh, but we try to engage people, and I myself, as a as a community and academic program manager, I try to to engage people and help them wherever I can. So. so how did you find about it? It was pretty funny. So uh, one of the founders, Vincent, uh, he posted in the Facebook group of our engineering uh, engineering KIT site uh, some, some link about SimScale. I was like, hey, that sounds cool. Why not try it? And it was early 2015 when I joined SimScale and like, I was full like, uh, working as a student there starting November 2016. So 
almost a two-year gap maybe between. Mm. So, and what was your impression when you um, kind of tried out the link? Yeah, I was... First, I was surprised, like everything in the browser, I was asking mm. myself, yeah. does it really work? And uh, over time, I was like, yeah, it's a cool concept and it works. And I mean, um, also the customers using SimScale, they're very happy with it and also our service. So uh, we have a long way to go and mm. optimize uh, a lot of uh, things. But um, that's something we love. I mean, you have to optimize each and every day and make some progress. Mm. Yeah, but of course, it's also good if you have an, a conversation with the people using it. Yeah. And also, you know, the people using it, having a conversation with each other, just helping each other along. That's um, so much, also much helpful for everybody. So exactly. I totally agree there. And I mean, especially in the community, if someone has a problem, maybe I or one of the power users comes and helps them or even another user who had the same problem, like mm. uh, I have problems with the boundary conditions and stuff like that and maybe with the mesh. So um, pre problems are getting solved very quickly on our platform. <laughs> so someone who joins Simska doesn't have to worry about so much about the time his questions are being answered. Yeah, it's not like calling into the void. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah, so in a way, very often um, I speak to mathematicians on the other side of the table And then um, there's always this picture of um, what mathematics is about after you finish school and then finding out um, during your study course that's not really what um, becoming a mathematician is about so much. There are some things which carry over, but a lot of things which are completely new and astonishing. I guess uh, in deciding to become a mechanical engineer, you also had an inner picture of what your working life afterwards would look like so what was this inner picture ah, interesting question like uh, at the beginning was i was like okay when i finish mechanical engineering studies i'm like drawing some components on a sheet of paper and maybe do cat modeling mm -hmm. and um yeah. so it was already related to using computers yes yeah and but b before i started studying i was like okay maybe I have some other options. Maybe I will study mathematics, mm -hmm. maybe mechanical engineering. I even wanted to become medicine, mm -hmm. so studying medicine, uh, or even a surgeon. So I had these options. I was like, okay, um, talking to friends and stuff like that. And they were like, okay, medicine is quite uh, boring, <laughs> so, so to speak. So I was like deciding for mechanical engineering. And like, to be honest, the bachelor <laughs> mechanical engineering was quite boring, I would say. Like you have the basic stuff you have to do, like it's mandatory, uh, but the master's is way better, I have to tell. Mm. Yeah, because then you can really follow your interests and there are so many possibilities, yeah. especially here in Karlsruhe. Um, things, you know, I'm not even in the faculty, but um, while going through um, certain things, so like for example, we organized summer schools on fluid dynamics and then I was trying to reach out to everybody who was connected to doing anything with fluid dynamics or even with big computers. And then I was very much astonished how many groups, so it was like 100 letters mm -hmm. I was sending out. And then um, you have a look around what's, uh, what's happening there. And um, I think... Also, in my head, not everything of that was connected to mechanical engineering. And then I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> there are so many possibilities of what you can achieve um, during the study course here. Yes. And I think that's uh, one of the beauties, let's say, especially in Karlsruhe, you have so many possibilities. Like if you want to go into the computer science direction or 
even turbulence modeling, what yeah. I have chosen. So, uh, yeah, I mean, possibilities are endless, <laughs> almost endless. Yeah. So what are you doing now for your turbulence modeling? Is this already your master's um, thesis or it's just the preparation for that? Yeah, so um, I was just interested in this topic because it's so complicated. Mm, and I was, yeah, <laughs> I was founding out about this in a basic fluid mechanics mm. course. I was like, hey, what is this adiviscosity stuff? Mm. And yeah, I mean, I was uh, last week I was visiting a course in, at TU Dresden where even uh, famous people like uh, Florian Menta from mm. ANSYS were giving talks about turbulence models. And I was like, that's complicated stuff. But I think, yeah, I really love the topic. I mean, uh, I did my specialization at uh, the Institute of Civil Engineering mm. at Professor Ullmann, uh, Professor Ullmann's lecture about mm. Franz LAS. Yeah, he is the person who is mo most nearest to us yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. in the mechanical engineering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I basically, like sitting in his lecture, I was like, okay, like let's give it a try. And yeah, I really like the professor. He, he's doing a very good job on how to teach students about turbulence modeling. Like some students are very, like, let's say, uh, maybe depressed afterwards because, oh my God, turbulence modeling is so hard. But he's doing a very good job. Yeah, for, in my opinion, it's not, of course, things are hard. There are a lot of hard things um, yeah. in mathematics and in mechanical engineering. But what's really um, kind of the special thing with turbulence is that we don't really understand um, what's, what it is so to say so the kind of the basis to have some modeling assumptions about it and there is still discussion about how to start this with um, as few as possible kind of assumptions which are not well grounded so for example according to turbulence i think there are like two questions where it occurred in my working life that i've seen Two persons who are more like grandfatherly persons, well-established, like really famous, shouting at each other. So like children, you know, in kindergarten, because they had different points of view and couldn't really convince each other. And one um, topic was turbulence. So really like... <laughs> it's almost like a you religious know, this, war. Yeah, it's like a religious war. And this is really due to the fact that, of course, they were thinking a lot and they have a lot of experience and they start just from different points of view and sometimes really um, end up with opposite uh, results to each other, what's kind of okay to do and what's not okay to do in the modeling. And um, then seeing them shouting at each other, I was understanding, oh, so this is really complicated. <laughs> <laughs> a funny anecdote. Um, like, I mean, as, as I mentioned, it's very complicated stuff and coming up with new models, having like 100 coefficients. Mm, I mean, yeah, that's also not helpful. Also not, especially for the user. I mean, if you have mm. like so many coefficients, like let's say a K-Epsilon K model, users are asking themselves, what is this for? If I tune it, maybe maybe I can get a better result. And people are like, no, don't, please don't do it. Don't change your coefficient. And like my plan is um, also for SimScale, like to create a YouTube series maybe mm. where I sh start from the basics, like what is turbulence? How can you define it? Maybe you can't define it. We don't know. It's like the same thing with uh, what is a vortex? Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, that's kind of connected. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, that's the plan to create a YouTube series starting from the beginning, what is turbulence, and then going to K omega. Omega SST and stuff like that. So. Mm. And because um, for these models which we are using nowadays, it's more like um, trying to uh, fill into a code what we observe or what we think 
um, is the necessary information from what we observe. And uh, when the picture which we calculate coincides well enough with, with what we observe, then it's already a valid model, even if we don't really have like a continuum mechanical grounds on which we can say, oh, this is okay because. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And that's a big difference between FEA and the CFD. Yeah. In FEA, you have, your equations are well-defined. In turbulence, you have... Basically, you don't have the, the ultimate model that, des that describes everything. Mm. I mean, you know it well from, if you, let's say, calculate a diffuser and you want to see how big is the recirculation zone, some models just output you garbage. And, uh, and it's basically the principle. If you put garbage in, you get garbage out. And that's a big problem. And, um, yeah, what do you think about uh, RANS? Do you think it has a future or will it be substituted with LES? I think um, this is really a question which, so the, the power of the computer makes uh, certain topics less appealing like Hans. Hans was really helpful when we didn't really have so much computing power available. So you work with kind of mean values, distribution, which are transported. You know, they, they get something right there, which you can also um, understand what's this about. But I think... Um, Even with the direct simulation, it kind of um, you only directly compute the equations you put, and and if if the equations are not really the right ones, the output cannot be the absolutely right one. Yeah, so in in, ex in extreme cases, I wouldn't really trust it. Yeah, I mean you also have to be very skeptical. I mean always. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, I've seen some pictures from post-processing. Um, like let's say turbo machinery where you have like velocity at the wall and I was like uh, that's not physical where's the no slip condition and uh, that's uh, things you have to take care of and um, SimScale we call it in our CAE well, we call it democratization mm. of CAE that means or CFD in this case which means that we want to um, bring simulation to everybody I mean you know CAD modeling uh, in the early days you had this 2D CAD or AutoCAD or mm. the old software And uh, our vision is to distribute SimScale among designers, engineers, and maybe hobbyists as well. Mm. And then you can can just, for example, study the if you have like a nice car model and you want to see if it's really like good in the air channel. Yeah, you can just try it a little bit. Yeah. And uh, being as complicated as you wish in the geometry, or just giving a get, getting a rough picture or more more clear picture, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, with, with this turbulence for, for me as a mathematician, it's really the interesting thing that uh, what we understood uh, really well is all incompressible. And I think this incompressibility is kind of a really big cheating if we are uh, very turbulent. Yeah, that's correct. And the other thing is that um, we don't really see, really have a closer look into the temperature changes. And I think this is also not okay if we are going into really strong turbulence. Mm. I totally agree. I mean, um, we'll have to see what the future brings. I mean, we're now at the, I think, petaflop region. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they say... That's a lot, yeah. That's a, already a lot, but yeah. uh, like I have read, there's a paper from a guy from MIT who said that the physical limit of 
computing power is the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, that's so, true, uh, yeah. You can describe this equation with energy and time. Mm. So th that's the time distance between operations, so floating point operations per second. Mm. So if the time gets na narrow and narrower, uh, then you have a limit. Basically, you get too much energy in your laptop will be hot as lava. I, I don't know. Mm. And he stated in the paper um, that the physical limit is like 10 to the 50. And that's a long way to go. I, we are now at 10 to the 15. Yeah. And 10 to the 50 is still yeah. a long way to go. But nevertheless, to have this idea that there could be a limit to the development is kind of a new thing to think because um, starting from the 60s or even earlier, you always had improvement, improvement and kind of even... Um, accelerating improvement in, in kind of the distribution of really strong computers to everybody and then to think that there could be an end and uh, you know easy to understand that there will be <laughs> it's kind of a new thing let's yeah, find the future I think. yeah of course but with the turbulence there's also the other thing i was kind of um, thinking that for example if you have things like the hurricane just now mm. Um, then you have like a really big region in which you have to calculate what's happening because all of that influences where the hurricane really in the middle. So kind of, uh, and um, it's kind of hard to make this modeling such that you are, are really sure about this middle. And um, the information about the middle is the most important one because that's where the disaster happens. Yes, and if you are kind of wrong with 100 kilometers, it's a bit. That's a bit bad. sad. Yeah. That's very bad. Um, and it's what's happening because it's so difficult. Mm -hmm. I think that's also where LES models emerge, right? Mm. From climate. Yeah, yeah, climate. Climate, uh, climate modeling. Mm. And um, I mean, and also I think that's a lot of computing power that goes into climate modeling and weather modeling, especially. So not also for like weather reasons, like you want to know what the weather tomorrow is, but also I think also political reasons. Like you want to know what the weather is, if there might be a war. Yeah. in some regions so it's also strategic um, the benefits yeah but nowadays it's even going further because if you want to really um, change um, the energy distribution like from coal and atomic um, production to um, solar panels and wind turbines you have to be sure about kind of mean values throughout the year for the weather so it's not really necessary to know the precise weather for each day but you should know how much energy you can take away in each of the weeks or each of the days just to be sure that certain bounds are, are hit. And um, this also leads to new developments, um, which are all kind of coupled to understanding fluid dynamics. Mm. I mean, that also implies that you might have a lot of other turbulence model in the future. Mm. So it really is a, yeah, yeah let's see what, what happens. Yeah. So I guess even if you are really young just now, there is really enough to be done uh, during your working life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like sure the the, the um, aim for my master thesis is like to apply machine learning to mm -hmm. fluid dynamics. And for some people, that's like ridiculous because, I mean, you have these neural networks that try to describe physics mm. and uh, the physics is not simply not there. So in my master thesis, I'm trying to study this a little bit deeper and I think in the future artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning algorithms are doing will do a pretty good job in turbulence or prediction of uh, turbulent flows let's see let's see we can have a conversation about that yeah. after you finish in 20 your years maybe <laughs> <laughs> no. 
So thank you very much um, for introducing this interesting uh, service to our listeners and to me. Maybe I should first um, thank you for uh, introducing it to me because it's really interesting to me as well. And um, I hope uh, you will stay fascinated with the topic I like so much for a long time. Of course. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.